The stars are right, and that means it's time for another episode of The Whisper in Darkness. I'm your host, The Man from Lang. Thank you very much for joining me today. On this episode, we are continuing with our review of the player cards in the Dunwich Legacy Investigator expansion for the benefit of new players. This is part three of our look at the rogue cards in the box. We are going to take a look at Adaptable, Hired Muscle, Lucky Dice, Switchblade Level 2, and Streetwise. There are spoilers throughout if you care about that sort of thing. If you enjoy what you hear, remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Just a quick reminder of how we rate cards here on The Whisperer in Darkness. The best of the best get an Elder Sign, while the worst of the worst get an Auto Fail, and the cards in between get a plus one, zero, or Elder Thing respectively. Cards that you build around, or are good in one particular deck, get a blessed token, while cards we believe are destined for the list of taboos or are simply bad for the game get a curse token. Before we get started, I'd like to thank the patrons of this channel for their tremendous support. The Arkham Horror LCG community is amazing, and these people have gone above and beyond to bring you content like these player card reviews. If you'd like to support the channel's goals and see your name on this list, head over to patreon.com, sign up for a tier of your choice, and claim your rewards. That would be awesome. Special thanks to Cole Monroe Chitty for the amazing art that graces the channel, Nicole Fiscus for the new Whisper in Darkness logo that I use for the podcast, and Nate Lost in Time and Space for the intro as well as the overlays. Thank you very much. I couldn't do it without you. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome back, Arkham Horror fans, to our review of the player cards in the Dunwich Legacy. This is part three of our review of the rogue cards in that set. We're going to start off with a permanent asset. This is adaptable. Costs one XP, is a talent, permanent. In between each game of a campaign, you may swap up to two level zero cards out of your deck in exchange for an equal number of level zero cards. You must still follow all deck building rules for your investigator. This uh, is one of my favorite cards in the game. I really wish it was neutral. <laughs> I, I too love this card. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's so cool. It, and it's flavorful yeah. and it's powerful. It's It ticks all the boxes for me. Yeah, this is a permanent done really well in that it lets you break the XP rules like outside the game. So you're basically putting a card in your deck that does nothing within the game and entirely outside of the game. And I think that's that's what permanence that's that's like the domain of permanence, being able to morph the deck building rules. I think that's uh, that's that's really cool. Now personally as like a um I often play rogues, I often play generalists, I often play three or four player. I think it's a, I think it's especially good for if you're a player like me where you like to build a level 0 deck, you know, build a deck at 0 XP and then as the campaign goes on, you um you kind of morph your deck to fit what the team needs. And adaptable is how you do that. So one thing to note is you're not really upgrading your deck at all when using your adaptable. You're just swapping around what your level zero cards are. And so you can use that to kind of iron out any of your deck's deficiencies or any of the team's deficiencies. Um, I think my most recent use of adaptable is um, bringing in a card we're going to be seeing later in Dunwich, uh, Painkillers, because I took some trauma. So all of a sudden, Painkillers is kind of useful, you know, thanks to needing trauma. Now, if I were to do that normally, I'd have to spend an XP to do it. But if I have Adaptable, I get to do that as many times as I want, morph my deck to fit the current situation in the campaign. And uh, I think it's nice as like a rogue class feature, so to speak. Man, I wish all rogues could just do this, you know, just by virtue of being a rogue. You know, I kind of wish all the classes had a class feature, you know, for being a member of that class. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, the reason I wish this was neutral is, I guess, as the card pool has grown, we've received more and more cards that are good in certain scenarios and not good in others. And I really wish we had something in all the classes where it's just like, hey, I've got this cool card. It's going to be really helpful in this scenario. It's level zero, I can swap it into my deck, enjoy the benefit, and then after this scenario is done, I can swap it out. And I'm not not harming my deck for all the other scenarios in the game, especially with the campaign format that people often end up playing in, or the way the game is set up is, is a campaign format. So often scenarios are asking you to do different things so one scenario might ask you to be to discover a lot of clues. The next scenario might ask you to kill a lot of enemies. The scenario after that may ask you to evade a lot of enemies. And so it would be nice to have a card that let you 
tinker with your deck a little bit between scenarios to prepare for that. And so I wish this was neutral, but I can also understand it's, you know, it is sort of a rogue class feature that they get to do this. And I do like picking this up. It's extremely cheap at one, one XP. So it's very easy to do. Rogues have quite a few good cards that can play around with this. We already looked at one, you know, I'm out of here. Great in certain scenarios, not so great in others. Adaptable lets you pick and choose when it's in your deck and and uh, you can tailor, tailor your deck to scenarios uh, a little bit. How would we rate this one? Oh, this gets an Elder Sign for me. Easy. I love this card. It's really cool. And like all the reasons you had explained earlier, it just allows you to modulate your deck from scenario to scenario to really, you know, meet the needs of what you're going to be able to to do, which is just a really nice tool to have in campaign. And oftentimes it feels really not great to uh, to swap out level zero cards for experience. You often want to spend that upgrading cards rather than swapping cards, especially like in Dun- yeah, especially in Dunwich where you're already only getting like two, three experience per scenario. Like this. This racks up a lot of experience if you're swapping two cards every scenario. Yeah. You know, it's upwards of 14, 16 experience, so that's nothing to scoff at. That being said, it's kind of it's kind of limited in what it can do because it is only two cards. And if your deck is like, you know, perfectly built, you may not need to swap cards in and out a lot. But just the fact that it lets you cover up inefficiencies or wrinkles in your team's composition, I think is uh, pretty great. I give this thing an elder sign as well. Any any character who can take it, I usually end up taking it after scenario one, just to like tweak things around based on the current situation. So, uh, and I think this is a good example of what like permanence can and probably should be doing. You know, really outside the game, really interesting effects, yeah, meta effects. It is worth noting that this is non-unique, so you can have two copies of Adaptable if you uh, if you want. In which case, you can swap four copy four cards in your deck, which gives you a lot uh, a lot of flexibility. I'll give this one an Elder Sign as well. I I really like this card. I love the ability to swap cards out if necessary without having to spend XP, especially on level zero cards. And since the card pool has grown, there are a lot more cards in the game that are situationally good in certain scenarios and not good in others. And this is a, a very easy way of adding those cards to your deck, especially if those if those cards are situationally good in say scenario five and not say scenario two or you know one or two when you would uh, normally have them it's just like okay there's this card that's going to be good in scenario six no problem i have adaptable that i can use to get that card without having to really change my deck all that much so uh, a really uh, a really cool effect for uh, for rogues the next card is an asset this is hired muscle one cost asset that costs one experience point it has a combat skill icon ally and criminal trait you get plus one combat However, forced at the end of the upkeep phase, you must either pay one resource or discard hired muscle. It has three health and one sanity, and it takes up an ally slot. Thoughts on hired muscle? If this card wasn't an ally, it would be amazing. But the <laughs> fact that it, the fact that it's an ally really does constrict yeah. how useful this card is, because you know, like we were saying with our review of Joey the Rat, like the the rogue allies have to compete with Leo DeLuca. So unless you're willing to spend experience on charisma, you know, are are you going to play hired muscle or are you going to play Leo? And I think most of the time people are going to choose Leo. So hired muscle just kind of gets relegated to the binder because of that, but it's a pretty good effect and it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah, The other reason why um, hired muscle tends to get relegated to the binder is because as the card pool expands, Rogues have some pretty amazing allies at 3 XP. And we were just talking about how it feels like a punishment to, to spend XP to swap out level zero cards. Well, it feels like even more of a punishment to pay for it, to pay for hired muscle and then pay even more XP to replace hired muscle with the ally you really, really want. So you can't really, you can't exactly upgrade allies into each other. Although if adaptable, let you swap your XP out. For other XP cards, that would be really cool. 
So, but as you were saying, Nate, cost-wise, one cost for one, uh, three, three health soak and one combat boost, that's very, very, very good. Like, does anything, is, is there any combat boost that's that cheap? If you go into Hired Muscle thinking, okay, well, I'm going to play this guy, I'm going to use the, um, I'm going to use the stat boost, but my intention is for him to leave the table, you know, so that way the, um, the cost over time doesn't stack up, then this guy's really good because he absorbs three health. Yeah, I mean, I can see this comboing very, very well with a card that we haven't um, looked at yet, uh, Smoking Pipe, where you can kind of use it to heal some horror, put the damage on the hard muscle with the intention of getting the hard muscle off the board. Like, I think a combo like that, if you're playing like Skids or Jenny, I think looks pretty sweet. So this is one of those guys that like you may never play because of his X, because he costs an XP. If he costs zero XP, it'd be amazing. And he'd see a lot of play, I think, at zero XP. But because he costs one XP, you know, it's like you don't want to put him in your deck. You can't put him in your deck at, like, the first scenario. But you always find other things to upgrade into that are more important as time goes on. Which means this guy never comes out of the binder. <laughs> Although I really need to. I really need to just play Hired Muscle more. I don't think I have ever played Hired Muscle, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's... Yeah, it's 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 a strange one. The uh, The one XP cost, especially as your card pool grows... You've got Leo DeLuca at 0 XP, or you can upgrade him for 1 XP to make him cost a little bit less. And then you jump right up to like Lola Santiago and Delilah O'Rourke and, and stuff like that. And, and poor Hired Muscle just... I mean, maybe Hired Muscle gets better once your card pool expands a little bit and you're you're looking at somebody like Leo Anderson from the Forgotten Age who can play Hired Muscle for even cheaper. I believe he gets a one resource discount on an ally, so he plays Hired Muscle for free. So you're basically getting, you're paying one resource for them at the end of your turn, which is pretty nice. I mean, rogues do have the luxury of, of generating more resources than other investigators but man oh man that forced effect again i haven't played hired muscle so it's tough to say but i feel like you'd really need to time these guys at the right time so you get the biggest bang for your buck without breaking the bank i'm not too sure how many resources i would be willing to keep to pay to keep these around yeah it's a tough hey, one maybe three yeah because um compare it to beat cop at that point think of it as a beat cop that you get that you can get down really early it's like you're you're taking out a, it's like you're uh you're paying off the beat cop in installments. It's a it's it's a it's a it's a bribe on layaway is what mm. it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's awkward because like you were saying, man, from laying like you have to play it at the right time and the game promotes you to play your assets on turn one. Like yeah. set up your board and then have your board set up and then go from there. But hired muscle is weird in that it kind of requires you to play it right before you want to kill things yeah exactly yeah that's that that end of the upkeep phase tax like it it scares i think that's scary like because it means it means you feel like you failed if you're not getting maximum use out of the hired muscle immediately i probably haven't played this card simply because in in solo timing is everything and if you need to play this card sort of right before you want to kill stuff, that's very hard to predict in solo when you're going to need to do that. And so if you play this guy too early, you're paying money and getting nothing. If you play him too late, i.e. the enemy has already hit the table and is on top of you, then you can't play this because then you are taking an attack of opportunity. I think in solo, at least, it ends up just being extremely awkward. Perhaps, I, ha I think I have seen somebody play this in multiplayer where they were able to, you know, especially in a Leo Anderson deck where they they get that they get that discount right off the bat. So it's not as bad and you use it and then you you let it go to like either a horror or you let it take the damage. I think the comparison to B-Cop is, is pretty interesting. You know, I think they are working on similar things and if you need to i mean if you don't have a ton of resources to begin with the ability to pay one for this guy and get you know a very cheap yeah. combat boost is pretty good but i have trouble with this this card i just haven't played it in in solo at all yeah. and there is an intellect version of uh, hired muscle i believe it's called treasure hunter basically the same card except it's an intellect boost instead of a uh 
a combat boost and maybe the the health and sanity are slightly different but roughly the same card i don't know if you're just better saving the the resources and playing a talent like hard knocks or streetwise or something like that if you're looking for that effect i think if you lean into the health soak i think that's where this guy really starts to shine because the health soak he gets to do a job and then leave the table and not charge you anymore i think there's something there with with that because what hard knocks doesn't provide is damage soak i'm starting to like that combo of uh, smoking pipe and hard muscle the more i think about it as to really leverage the fact that this guy has three health soak which is a lot for one cost how would we rate hired muscle i'm gonna give him a blast token this is i think really a card you have to build around i don't see you shoving this in most decks but i do think that there is a deck out there that uses something like hired muscle like you were saying matt that uses hired muscle yeah uses some way to like tack damage onto it for some additional yeah. benefit and then you get rid of it or you're leo anderson and you have the natural ability to just play it when you need it which is also right because because the key thing about leo is that even with an enemy on him he could put the hired muscle into play and so he can just wait until he needs it yeah so he kind of overcomes the downsides that you were talking about there mr lang i think given that they're that at this point in the card pool combat boosts are very expensive i mean what do we have beat cop and that's about it for combat boosts i think that's where this guy that's kind of where this guy's niche is if he was zero xp i think he'd, he'd show up in a lot more decks because like i was saying it really sucks to like remove an xp card from your deck to get the ally you really really want i think i'm gonna give this guy a zero because he does he is very inexpensive he provides a lot of soak and combat boosts are very expensive at this point in the card pool. I'm going to give Hired Muscle an Elder Thing. I've never played this card. I think it's awkward. I think that's, you've got to time it right. You've got to have the resources to spare, especially as a solo player where you tend to deal with enemies very quickly and be done with them. I don't know. Ooh, I, I've just I've never liked this card very much the next card we're going to look at is lucky dice or are they it is a two cost asset that costs two experience points however it is exceptional so the lucky dice will set you back four it has a willpower and, and uh, agility skill icon item and relic traits as a response after you reveal a chaos token spend two resources ignore that chaos token and reveal another one to resolve if that token has the autofail symbol Remove Lucky Dice from the game, and it takes up a accessory slot. Uh, thoughts on uh, Lucky Dice? I don't like this card. For four experience, yeah. Like I, I can see where this would be useful, but if your luck is anything like mine, you're gonna draw that auto fail, and you're gonna spend four resources and discard this card, and then you're gonna feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, I've actually been trying out Lucky Dice, and it has the results have been mixed. Because I, I, I put it in my deck in order to um, deal with minus fours. Like, the idea is that I'd boost my skill test to be two over to cover most of the bag. And then if I draw a minus four, I can just re-roll it with lucky dice. It has been kind of an overpriced effect, but it's worked out okay. It's kind of overcosted XP-wise compared to other things in the game. Like, you could play hard knocks instead, and then you can kind of use that instead to, like, boost up your your combat checks and your, eva your um, evasion tests. I mean, you could play, I mean, if you're Jenny, you have a whole smorgasbord of things like hyper awareness or physical training that you could use instead of lucky dice. Yeah, it's, if you're playing a campaign and there aren't very many of these, if you're playing a campaign where you have like a really nasty token in the bag, like a minus five or worse, or if you're playing on hard, I think this gets better because when the really nasty, when like the really nasty tokens that are, but are, that aren't auto fails are like, really low negatives then this gets better because you're you have a decent chance of drawing into like a zero or like a minus two or something you can actually like budget for you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah but if you're if your gap if your gap of your bag is your typical standard bag and you're looking at minus twos to minus fours i think it's less impactful at this stage in the game there aren't a whole lot of effects that do this outside of survivor 
because you have Lucky and Survivor, and that's where it's at. But this feels it's 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 okay. Also, if you happen to have the Winifred Havnick starter deck, that that has Lucky cigarette case, and Lucky cigarette case is way better than this in my in my experience. Right? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> one of the biggest problems with this card is that it does take up an accessory slot, and rogues have better options for the accessory slot. This effect is uh, quite rare, actually, at this point in the game, and it is worth noting that the response can be triggered multiple times so this does allow you to fish for tokens if you've got the resources to spare so say you draw the first token it's it's a minus four no good throw it back uh, set it aside try again you get another bad token you know theoretically you can as long as you got the resources to spend you can fish for tokens as long as you don't have as long as you don't draw that auto fail and then lose the whole the whole card and and all the resources you've spent on it and the xp as well like you're just and potentially this happened this could happen in the first you know very the first time you use it right it's like i draw a token don't like it lucky dice up oh, it's gone and that's yep. pretty painful there is a level three upgrade for lucky dice available in uh, the into the maelstrom mythos pack from the insmith conspiracy that adds curse tokens into the mix but uh, i don't think nate and i liked that card much more than this one so how would we rate this one i'm giving this a tentacle i do not like this card i feel like anytime you want to spend two resources to redraw the token just spend two resources to pump the skill test in the first place yeah exactly also spending two resources to pump the skill test in the first place that synergizes with um, succeed by two effects, where um, whereas this doesn't, because you're basically spending two resources to get your test over the line, where you could have spent those two resources, boost your test, and trigger all your succeed by two effects. I'm giving this an elder thing because at least it like it's it's overcosted like XP wise, but at least it does a thing, and. You could all you could argue that unlike say hard knocks, this can kind of cover you for all four stats, whereas um, the talents cover you for two stats. But um, in general, it's like it's it's a kind of a middling effect. I've been playing with it myself lately, so I'd give this an elder thing. I'll give this one an elder thing as well. I mean, it does something. It's not the worst card you could put in your deck. There are going to be those games when it just blows up on you the first time you draw it. You try to use it, which is really unfortunate. I I really don't like that. As your card pool expands, I think competition for that accessory slot just becomes a lot yeah. more fierce. So then you're in a position like, okay, do I want to play Lucky Cigarette Case and Lucky Dice? In which case, then you've got to buy Relic Hunter and you're spending even more experience points. And I think at that point, Lucky Dice just sort of slide out of contention and you just won't end up playing them especially now that uh, i believe the winifred habamock starter deck has uh, the lucky dice level two or not lucky dice level two but uh, lucky cigarette case level two so you can upgrade your lucky cigarette case so that's probably where your experience points are going i mean maybe at this stage if you want to try to to get a lot of control over the the chaos bag you could play this in wendy and between yeah. Wendy's ability and this ability, you've got quite a bit of control over what tokens you're going to draw. I mean, the biggest issue with this is if you get greedy. Each time you draw a token from the bag, you're going to be risking this thing blowing up. And and that would be bad. And again, it, it has the, the problem with most of the ex exceptional cards that rogues at this stage of the game don't have a ton of card draw. And so really it's it's not an effect that you can rely on consistently like if you get it down early great but if you're actually going to try if your strategy revolves around using lucky dice it's going to be tough yeah. for a rogue to to draw this although i could see i mean i can see situations like you said matastrophic like if say uh, lost in time and space for example where i believe it's the is it the tablet that the, the big bad will attack you. I'd be willing oh, to lucky dice nice. that. <laughs> oh, I see. You're talking about something that it's not about the modifier. It's about the, yeah. the effect of the symbol. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there are circumstances where 
this kind of effect is useful lost in time and space and the tablet being one of them you don't want to be attacked by the big bad in that one that's just a bad time but i tend to find that most of the the effects on chaos tokens tend not to be that bad there are a few but there are few and far between and i mean i've played hundreds of games of arkham horror at this point and haven't played lucky dice and i've done fine so if you don't want to buy this card you'll probably be okay it's also worth noting that sure gamble is in the core set and sure gamble is kind of a one-off similar effect that um it is three xp but that just saves your butt no questions asked you know you draw the minus four turn that frown upside down turn it into a plus four so similar effect more reliable that brings us to switchblade level two one cost asset combat and agility skill icons item weapon melee and illicit trace it's fast as an action fight you get plus two combat for this attack if you succeed by two or more this attack deals plus one damage and it takes up a hand slot switchblade was originally released in the uh core set and reprinted in the revised core ranks among the worst weapons in the game especially for low combat rogues who basically have really no chance of of triggering it this one has ended up on the list of taboos i believe they added one xp to it for a total of three i've never really understood that it is sort of above the board for for most weapons yeah i i think what the designers fear is doing two damage without having like an ammo cost to it you know they they restricted machete they've done that with other weapons as well and i stand with you man from like i don't really get why i know this card's good you know there are certainly times where you can really make use of this especially if you're playing something like hired muscle but you know, it's still pretty difficult. Like, as most of the rogues, you're still going to have to put in one or two skill cards anyway to get that damage consistently. Mm. No, most of the enemies have four. Four combat, three combat. It only pushes Jenny and Skids to five, right? Yeah. So, like, you really want to be at least six on a test like that if you want to get the two damage. And then even still, there is still a chance you draw that minus four or you pass but you only deal one damage. Yeah, and especially fighting, you want to be reliably dealing with two damage as often as you can because combat is when uh, your your combat tests do nothing until the enemy falls over. So you need to kill that enemy in the actions that you have budgeted to be able to defeat the enemy. So that means when you're playing Switchblade, you are going for that um, succeed by two every time. And that's hard to do unless you're Tony Morgan which you'll probably flash up on the screen right now, and who um, the, the lead designer has said that this is that Tony Morgan was the reason why they uh, tabooed the Switchblade, because he starts with five combat as a rogue, and then yeah, Switchblade like, is the only weapon he needs. But, that's you know. fine, though, right? Like, it's yeah, one... I agree. Specifically one investigator. I know. One's very specific investigator. Yeah, I know. And then that's, and the that's other the issue with that... List. Yeah, with that other <laughs> argument, it's like, what does one experience do? Yeah, exactly. Like, Tony came but, out in the Dream Eaters. You get 12 experience in Scenario 1. Like, what's the difference between yeah. 6 and 4 XP at that point? There's a whole there's a whole discussion we could do on this, on XP costs and what they mean, actually, now that I think about it. But in, a, but in like, a kind of a general sense, like, if you're playing Skids or Jenny, this thing, this thing, is, uh, this thing is pretty good. Personally, I'm more of a fan of the uh, Level 2 Derringer uh from the revised core because you only have to succeed by one to get your three damage to get your two damage and um but one thing to note is that the derringer is not fast the derringer costs three this thing is cost one and it's fast which is i think where the real strength of this one lies you can like hold on to it in your hand until you're ready to uh you know to bring it out and uh defeat enemies it's very strong whereas the level zero switchblade is kind of terrible because for reasons we we elaborated on in the uh, revised core reviews but this one's actually pretty good yeah i would be very tempted to just play this one as xp as written in dunwich and revised core sure you may want to make tony pay a little more for it because tony's got five combat but i think with skids and jenny and you know even wendy you know they're not world beaters with this card they still have to commit a lot 
in order to get that plus one damage. They're only at a five. If you want to, like, and even Wendy is only at a three. So if you want to succeed by two against a four uh, fight enemy, you probably want to be at a seven or an eight. Like, that's a lot of cards and resources you're committing to each of those skill tests in order to get that bonus damage. So it's not like you're getting plus one damage on every attack. Correct. You know, you're still going to have to commit a lot of cards and resources to pull it off. And then there's still the odds that you draw the minus four and you pass, but you don't get the bonus damage, which sort of defeats the whole purpose. So, yeah, this one this one has always sort of left me scratching my head. I think the biggest obstacle I have with this card is that the level zero switchblade is just so awful that I've almost forgotten that the level two version exists in the game and that it's actually pretty good if you can succeed by two reliably. How would uh, we rate this one? Now, this one is tough. Within the context of the card pool that we're looking at with Core and Dunwich, this card is kind of mediocre, I think. Okay. It's not... It's not bad by any means like jenny i think could make pretty good use of it same with skids i don't think wendy is going to use this very much she could you really wanted her to but she has fire axe and i don't see why you would use this over fire axe or baseball bat or uh, yeah or any any combination of those weapons i mean that being said you know it's fast it's a good off weapon for your derringer if you're already kind of planning and leaning into that succeed by two or more archetype, then it's just a pretty nice off weapon. And, you know, that's fine. Once you have Tony, however, this thing's a beast, but I think that's fine too, personally. But as far as a rating goes, I'm going to give it a zero. I'm sure that might stir up a little bit of controversy, but the card's <laughs> just kind of fine. You know, it's it's an unreliable machete is how I feel about this card. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I think the fa- I think the fact that it's fast actually is quite powerful because you don't have to spend an action to play it until you absolutely need it. So if you're playing like Jenny and you know your your intention was to just use lockpicks and do some investigations, but then an enemy the enemy comes at you and then it's like, "Oh, now I need to fight it. The enemy's already on me." That's when you can break out the switchblade and you can start attacking. And I think that's that alone is very strong is that playing it doesn't provoke an attack of opportunity and i think for that and the fact that it's cheap i'm going to give it a plus one yeah because you yeah because you can just put it out there uh for one resource and no action and take stabs <laughs> stabs at uh at two damage attacks yeah it's also nice if you need something to protect one of your other assets against crypt chill oh yeah there you go <laughs> that's right because didn't we rate switchblade as like the superior crypt chill soak in, I uh, think we did, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. back in uh, back in the revised core set. Yeah, so this also, you can upgrade your Crypt Chill, cho- your Crypt Chill, Crypt Chill Soak into even... Into an actual playable card. Brilliant. Yeah, hey! <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of torn between a plus one and a zero on this one. I appreciate the fact that it's it's very cheap and it's fast. The investigators who can play it, though, if you're trying to get that plus one damage you've got to prepare for that that's not something you're going to be able to do consistently without a little bit of forethought you're probably going to need to play overpowers for sure you're going to need to have a pretty good uh, resource generation base in order to to pump your talents if that's the way you're going to go because you know Against lower combat enemies, I mean, the the most common ones are like rats and acolytes and stuff like that, and you don't need the bonus damage for those. Um, I'll be generous and give it a plus one. I, I like the, the cheapness. I like the fast. I think this is a good offhand weapon just for those occasional circumstances where you need to stab something and get it off the table or do a little bit of extra damage and you're not going to have to fight a ton with it especially if you're jenny or skids because i think you'd have to spend a lot of you'd end up burning through a lot of cards and resources just trying to pump this high enough to get the to get that bonus damage 
And enemies in Dunwich do tend to have either two or four health, so you're going to want that bonus damage more often than not, I think. Yeah, if the enemy, if enemies ha um, typically had three health, that would actually be a strike for the Switchblade, because then only one of your two attacks would have to hit by two in order to uh, you know, get use out of it. But if you're attacking a four health enemy, then you have to land both of them by two, and that's stressful. Yeah, so maybe Switchblade gets better as your card pool expands and you're playing things like the Forgotten Age where more enemies are at three. And as the as the campaigns grow, three becomes the new two. So you end up fighting three health enemies a lot more, And in which case being able to attack at plus two for one attack to deal one damage and then juice the second attack in order to, to finish it off is a lot more favorable than having to, to, to do two attacks and yep. not having a chance to fail. That brings us to Streetwise. It is a permanent, costs 3 XP, and, and it has the talent trait. As a free triggered ability, you can spend two resources. You get plus three intellect for this skill test, or you can, as a free triggered ability, spend two resources to get plus three agility for this skill test i can't think of many cards besides lock picks that sort of revolutionized how rogues played more than streetwise it has ended up on the list of taboos um i was it plus three xp or plus two it costs six now cost six now so they added three xp to this thing but back in the core set sort of Dunwich days, rogues did not have a lot of good ways to investigate. And Streetwise came along and filled that gap very nicely. Thoughts? I mean, for the longest time, Streetwise was the only way people played rogues. Yeah. Like, I, I remember for a long time, like, it was basically like, do we ban this card to make rogues unplayable or do we do we change it somehow like that was the conversation yeah. for a long time until circle undone came out and then people were talking about using this card with preston and how silly oh. it would be to use with preston so i mean i get that like allowing yeah. preston to investigate at a seven is pretty silly with just the resources in his family inheritance yeah that's a, that's down the line um yeah but even within the context of just core and dunwich like Jenny is still able to trigger this once a turn, and yep. if you're using that to evade, that's all you really need. Yeah, with Jenny, you get a six, and that's probably going to be enough to evade whatever it is you need to evade. And then you have lock picks, and that pretty much covers all of your bases from there. Yeah, now that lock picks are in the game now, as a result of the revised core set, um, Streetwise becomes less vital because without lock picks. And you, if your if your skids are Jenny and your intellect is only three, and you have no access to intellect boosts anywhere, like you have to use Streetwise in order to contribute to the team, because you know that that's all you got. So if you're playing this with a small card pool, like this thing is kind of vital as a yeah. rogue, because you don't have a lot of options um, to be able to do investigations or pull off reliable evasion tests. And it also serves as an outlet for your cash that uh, the designers seem to assume that rogues have gobs and gobs and gobs of based on the cards we've been seeing so far in this cycle. I've been noticing as we've been going through these reviews that the designers seem to believe like with Lucky Dice and with Switchblade that rogues seem to be like have tons of resources. You know, Contraband is another one like that where like these things are kind of really costly effects. It seems that like this is Streetwise is your intended resource outlet in the, at least in designers minds when they were you know designing this set so that makes streetwise kind of vital because you're not going to accomplish much without it mm. um, if yeah because you need something to spend all that hot streak money on right for your lone <laughs> wolf money yeah i mean it, yeah. it was just one of those it's one of those cards that just kind of made every rogue deck feel the same yeah which just is bad design you know you yeah. want your you want your investigators to feel different from one another and when yeah. A card like this is just so necessary for an entire faction to function. Then, you yeah. know, I think, you know, at that point, you've done something wrong. 
Yeah, fortunately, we are in the uh, we're the, we're the new we're in the the second try, you know, so to speak, with the revised core days, and um, lockpick single handedly solves that problem. Well, mm -hmm. maybe not solves, but addresses that problem by, you know, letting rogues investigate decently effectively. Yeah, I don't think I've actually played this card all that often lately, mm -hmm. because rogues have gotten so many better options. Not necessarily better than Streetwise, but they've actually received some options where when the core set dropped and Dunwich came along, rogues really just didn't have a lot of ways to get clues outside of flashlight. And, you know, perception was basically it. Streetwise came along and, and sort of threw them a lifeline and said, okay, here's a way you can actually get some clues. These days rogues have other ways they've got intel report from the circle undone uh, campaign that just gets them clues they've got once they gain some experience you've got lola santiago where they can pay for clues so they have received uh, a lot more options in that respect and so while streetwise was really um, dominant at this time i think its dominance has sort of dropped a little bit and it doesn't feel as, as oppressive as it once did. I know when uh, Preston was released in uh, The Circle Undone and I was testing him. And man, oh man, the difference between Streetwise Preston and no Streetwise Preston was extreme. Like, man, oh man, you you played Preston without Streetwise and you felt it. The moment you got streetwise in your deck, it was just like, okay, now I can breathe. Now I can actually, you know, reliably investigate and 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 get cards. Now, Preston has the issue where I mean, he's just got tons and tons of money, so two resources isn't uh, isn't as big a deal for him as, especially if you're throwing in all the other resource generation effects with him. Yeah, it's interesting here how, you know, in Blood on the Altar, they, they release these permanent talents and they tried to play around with the talent format. Not entirely successfully, you ended up with higher education, which we've already discussed in our secret review was, was way too good. Uh, we ended up with Streetwise, which they changed the resource cost, but then tripled the the bonus you got, which again proved to be too powerful they tried uh, blood pact where they threw doom on the table in order for bonuses that one kind of ended up in a weird spot and then keen eye was sort of like you spend but you get for the entire turn and that one kind of ended up on the the weaker side so it blood on the altar was a huge pack for for the game and very influential on on the decks that came out of it but it's interesting to look back and just see how like i can't really think of one of the skill one of those talents that's sort of just right because even scrapper which to me seems like the most innocuous of the three town of the five talents released in the box even ended up on the list of taboos so it's hard to say which one was sort of like they were playing around with different ideas for talents, and it's just like none of them quite got it right. The the main issue is just like what these cards do is inherently wrong. Well, not wrong, but it's it's just inherently like breaking one of the rules of the game, which is your resources are used to play cards. But now all of a sudden your resources are now used to pass skill tests? Like what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it comes at no cost of putting it in your deck. So it's like as soon as you draw your opening hand, it's on. Mm -hmm. And there, there's no like, there's no trying to like set anything up. It's just it works. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the issue lies with a card like Streetwise and Higher Education. You know, because when you compare them to the level zero versions that you put in your deck, it's night and day, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fact, and that's that's something you know that you know that could be a, a separate discussion. Actually, is like the value of making something go from your deck to becoming permanent, like and how appropriate that is, and the power level of that. The power level is kind of incredible, actually. Taking something and making it—it's kind of like it's always in your opening hand, mm -hmm. and you get a, a bonus action on your first turn to play it, which is kind of that's 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 a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, 
I I think of the of the um of the permanent cycle of talents, I like this one the most because I mean it is very it is very powerful. That being said, you always have to spend two resources. So it kind of creates that like how to describe it, that it kind of goes in that imprecise rogue feel of, you know, shooting from the hip and, you know, you, you, you overspend and you, you might overshoot. Yeah. I think that's where they're going for with this one. Um, I like the fact that it is, it has a, um, something that you always need to do investigate. And it also has a way to evade enemies on it. That's pretty nice. Actually, as great as higher education is, it doesn't have a way to evade enemies pre-installed where streetwise does well deal with enemies so this is going to be generally useful and i think at this point in the card pool it's kind of necessary to like to do well as rogue sadly yeah because yeah. you don't have a lot of options at this point there is a uh, a level zero version that was released in the winifred have a mock starter deck it starts in your deck so you have to pay money for it to to bring it out not sure if the bonuses are the same i'll throw it up on the screen if if you have they're a two for that. two two for two yeah. So yeah, the slightly uh, less generous with the uh, the bonuses. How would we rate this one? I think in the context of Core and Dunwich, this is an Elder Sign. I think as you expand your card pool, it slowly turns into a curse token because it just it's one of those cards that's going to make every rogue deck feel the same. And I think that's a big reason why people don't play it. Is just it just makes the games boring. Like yeah, your your, then... your rogue decks just kind of all do the same thing which is turbo out resources to use for streetwise yeah and i met um i've fallen into that trap before um especially when i was newer to arkham horror like uh, um i would play rogue decks and i would just pick up lots of resources resource generation and on top of that i would just not play expensive cards at all especially assets because i needed to fund streetwise so i'm just I couldn't really afford much else because I needed to fund streetwise. Yeah, I started to I relied on the crutch way too much. So I think I I, I like your logic, Nate. That um, in this point in the card pool, it's kind of important because you don't have a lot of options and you need to be able to get things done as a rogue. So I'd say Elder Sign um, because it's going to really transform your deck and it's going to make it much more capable. But yeah, as time goes on and you have other options, then this starts to become like it starts to weigh down the uh the state of the game so to speak i'm going to give it an elder sign as well although i don't necessarily agree with you that it that it starts to weigh down the game because i think rogues receive enough options later on that playing streetwise is not necessary you have lock picks which revolutionizes rogue that came out in path to carcosa since reprinted in in the revised core so that solves that problem you get intel report in circle undone you get lola santiago you just get more options and so streetwise doesn't necessarily become the auto include it once did and i've played plenty of rogues since and i just don't really use it that often anymore like i recognize the power like spending two for three is is obviously a great deal but it doesn't feel as oppressive on the card pool maybe that's just me as a solo player and not feeling the need to to play streetwise as much as i as much as i used to during dunwich where i was just like man oh man <laughs> i can actually investigate hooray you know i'm gonna play this card i have an illustration for it streetwise is a crutch it's a crutch you need when you don't have any other options but you probably want to learn how to play the game without the crutch. How about that? It's a crutch. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. I think. That's going to do it for part three of our look at the rogue cards in the Dunwich Legacy Investigator expansion. Let us know in the comments down below what you think. Have you uh, had a chance to play with these cards? See how they work? Let us know. Any final thoughts? Rogues are bringing us on a roller coaster yet again i see oh my gosh yeah it's been kind of a wild ride we've got streetwise streetwise and switchblade lots to talk about there yeah man it's been it's, it's been just, a heck of a video series guys <laughs> it's interesting to see like that the rogue card pool was stretching in many directions initially you know we've got the rogue weapons we've got this succeed by two archetype we've got this lucky dice 
thing <laughs> going on. I don't, I don't really know. That doesn't feel very fleshed out, but then we've got this resource generation, and then we've got these, like, cards that produce tons of ammo, and et cetera, et cetera, and what the heck is and exceptional? And then hard muscle just sitting there, like... Yeah, you know, so it's like you've got, like, combat rogues, evading rogues, investigating rogues. It's like, what do, what do you want the rogue class to do? Fail will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes they want you to fail willpower tests that is but then they give you liquid courage which you want to pass willpower tests on <laughs> i sort of feel like rogues at this time yeah like you said nate they were being pulled in a lot of different directions and i don't think they had settled on rogues being sort of using their re resources for everything we sort of got a lot of cards that said you want to use your resources for everything, but we didn't quite get the resource generation yet. I mean, we had Hot Streak, sure, which you had to spend a lot of XP to get, and you had Lone Wolf in this set, which is obviously good, but we don't have things like Watch This yet, where you can get resources and, and some of the other tools that, that rogues now rely on to, to generate resources, or even an investigator like Preston who's sort of like the super Jenny who just gets a bunch of resources dumped on him every turn. So yeah, it's kind of like they, they had this idea like, okay, rogues are going to spend resources to do stuff, but we haven't quite received enough resource generation yet in order to, to spend all those resources on effects like lucky dice, which might be nice, but I mean, two resources a turn for that. Then you've got hired muscle chewing away at your resources. Like, yeah, rogues are good at resources, but I don't think they're that good yet that they can play all of these effects effectively. No. It's just yeah. you're going to run out if you try to, to stretch yourself that thin. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's and, and of course, you've got something like Switchblade as well, which sure you're going to need. I mean, it gives rogues a combat boost, but you're probably going to need to spend cards and resources in order to to get over that hump and, and succeed by two. So there's lots of demands on rogue resources so far, but not a lot of, not as much resource generation as I think they need. That's going to do it for this episode. If you enjoyed what you hear, remember to like, comment, and subscribe. If you need to contact me, I can be reached at manfromlang at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at manfromlang. Until the stars are right, keep your shotgun close and your elder sign closer. Take care out there and happy investigating.